Hey, I'm Daniel, and welcome to the Milwaukee Chi Alpha Podcast. What you're going to get from this podcast is biblical encouragement for college students in Milwaukee. And if you don't fit that description, this can still be a good listen for you. What you're about to listen to is our sermon series called Sent. We're studying the book of Acts, the ordinary people who had an extraordinary story. believers throughout Judah heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem and circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joba praying and in the trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into, the, into it and saw four-footed animals of earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice, of, voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill, and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesar stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. The six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appeared in his house and said, Send Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered when the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Christ, Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even the Gentiles, God has granted rep- repentance that led to life. Now here's Jeff. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time to be together. Lord, would you slow us down to receive from you tonight? As we examine your word and as we try to piece it together with the story that we've been telling through Acts, Lord, would we hear your heart? Would we hear you speak to us tonight and knowing how to live in light of who you are in your word? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we've been going through the book of Acts, chapter 11 tonight, chapter 11. Um, and uh, if you didn't notice, we kind of skipped over chapter 9, spoiler alert. Um, we're, gonna, we're looking at Peter's kind of story here. Um, and after next week, Caitlin's going to preach next week on Peter. And then after that, it's going to shift. We're going to shift back to the narrative that picks up in chapter 9 with Paul. right? Um, so in this story we just read, we see the apostle Peter having this conversation 
about the events from chapter 10 that Catherine preached on last week. And the first thing that Peter experiences is criticism from other believers. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't much care for criticism. Um, and maybe, maybe this is a pretty human thing. I think it is a pretty human thing. Um, however, for me, I acknowledge the fact that I don't like criticism for a bunch of different reasons. Sometimes it's because I just think it's mean. But then sometimes it's like I acknowledge the fact that I want to look good. And I want people to think highly of me. And if someone has something negative to say about me, that means they must think I'm not very good. And there's part of me that just does not like to acknowledge the fact that maybe someone doesn't like something I'm doing. Does anyone relate to a little bit of that? Like, we don't really like being criticized. And we don't like it because it kind of stirs something up within us, right? Maybe you're familiar with those words, like, wait, 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 let, let me explain, right? Or... Well, it's actually, it's, a, it's more like this. And we take kind of black and white things and we try to make them a little bit gray because, you know, there's wiggle room. And this is not all bad, right? There's some good here of like explaining what really happened and bringing out truth. But what I'm getting at here is there's something about being criticized that exposes something within us. Or actually, we don't want to be exposed within us. That there's something within us that actually does not want to acknowledge what's really underneath the surface. That there's something about us that doesn't like to look straight into the face of what's inside of us, our own mess. And so we don't want to look bad and we kind of fudge it a little bit. Try to, well, that's not so bad. Or maybe you're on the other side of this reaction. And instead of like hearing criticism, like, no, 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 that's not true. It's like, well, yeah, I know I'm the worst. And like you kind of like criticize yourself, almost as if a way to like if you criticize yourself, people might not criticize you so much. Or maybe it's because we have such a low opinion of ourselves that we think we are just the worst. And as soon as someone has something negative to say about us, we're like, see, I knew it was true all along. I am the worst. Thank you for proving it to me. Or maybe it's something like, oh, you, don't even, you think I didn't know that, right? And it kind of exposes some of our insecurities, doesn't it? I mean, insecurity is like criticism kind of puts our finger on what's going on inside of us. And I think half the time, we just don't really want to open that box. We don't want anyone else to see what's underneath because we struggle to look inside and understand what's honestly down in there and what is true of us. And I think what's true of us is that we got a mess on our hands and I think we feel powerless to change it. We feel really stuck and we have all these things that we try to like put a facade over and cover up because it's so overwhelming that we can't even look at ourselves honestly anymore. And criticism becomes this like jarring experience because it touches this mess within us. We got real tonight, but I think this is a real thing we have. Can we look at ourselves honestly? Not not with shame. Like, can we look at ourselves without the shame, without feeling self-loathing, without the jaded history of people's opinions about us? Can we look at ourselves honestly? Do we know how to do that? Do you know where the ability of that right there comes from? When we're criticized. In this story, Peter is criticized. And interestingly enough, this is worth noting here, Peter's criticized for doing something we know he didn't do anything wrong. However, he's going to some other Christians 
who are criticizing him for doing something they see is he's a lawbreaker. He broke the law. You could look at some of the laws he broke in Leviticus, right? He, he, he broke them. He, did do, he didn't do what the law told Jews to do. He wasn't supposed to go into a home of a, of a Gentile person. He wasn't supposed to eat the food of their uh, culture. And there's a lot here. And I'm going to just take a minute to kind of like unpack just, just briefly. Um, these laws that we're referencing, uh, we're going to talk about some of these laws and how we understand them now in Christ and how they, what they mean for us and non-Jews. Like we're going to talk about that in the, in the learning hour, the questioning of the Old Testament um, in the next few weeks. So uh, stay tuned for that. Um, so I'm not going to cover all of that here. But uh, the point I want us to see in this is that God is behind this. God is doing something through Peter and these first Christians, and he's helping them break past their cultural boundaries to bring the gospel to people all across the world, right? We've been watching how the Holy Spirit wants to bring the gospel to all peoples, but not just as news, right? It's one thing to go tell someone over there, but now it's like, it's about going into homes. It's about community, right? We know Christianity is about relationship. And what God wants to do is not just tell a whole bunch of people and they all do their own thing. He wants to unite all people into one family. But then we have this cultural mess. And so what God is trying to do, he's trying to break down the walls, the walls of division between cultures to help people know Jesus, right? And he's starting with these Jews to help them break past these cultural understandings of his law so that the gospel can spread to all people. And I want to make a really important caveat here, really important note, okay? This is not a passage that we can look at and say, well, clearly this, was, this, this law here, this part of the Bible was getting in the way of sharing the gospel with someone, so we can just remove it. Peter did not do that. This is not a, a passage that we can look at and say, Oh, I don't have to follow all the rules because that's a hindrance to someone receiving the gospel. That's not what this is about. Peter is very clear. He tells this vision several times, right? Chapter 10 and chapter 11, he recounts his vision. From a literary perspective, this is very important. Catherine mentioned this last week. Luke, our author, is trying to help us see this story matters. And what, why it matters is because is, is it's from God. He gives Peter this vision, which happens three times, right? We hear it twice, and we know it happens three times, right? There's a lot of uh, a repetition that God is giving this vision. And then we have this other person receives a vision, and he comes to Peter's door. So there's a, like, all of a sudden confirmation of this vision with visitors. And then he goes, and he has this meal, and then they receive uh, Christ by faith, and then they receive the Holy Spirit and baptism of the faith and evidences by speaking in tongues. And Peter's like, this is of God. Peter did not have the authority to change anything about the Bible. Neither do we. This is not a passage for us to change anything. This is God very intentionally, deliberately, through layers, helping this people break down some cultural barriers to help more people understand the gospel and know how to do life together in Christ, okay? Very important there. There's a lot more to say. But Peter gets to that point in verse 17 and says, who was I to think I could stand in God's way? This is what God was doing. And Peter makes it very clear. And the church is now in this wrestling period of 
dealing, okay, so what then does it mean to follow God? And how do we bring this gospel into other parts of the world? And the rest of this passage is that. And the the final verse of this passage is where I want to really focus tonight. Because as this group of Christians hears the evidence of Peter's account, they acknowledge the fact God is in this and then say, so God has granted, even to Gentiles, repentance that leads to life. Now, I think this is really interesting, right? They bring out some clarity of the gospel. The gospel is, in fact, for all people, not just as news, but for relationship. And the way they're understanding this is to the concept of repentance. Repentance. Now, to back up even further, the concept of this gospel of God being given to Gentiles isn't even a new thing. Um, and I'm not going to go there and read the whole passage, but it's on the screen, Isaiah 42, verse 1 through 9. This is a really beautiful passage that Jesus actually preaches when he starts his ministry. And he says, this is the fulfillment. I am the fulfillment of this passage. He talks about being, he is the light to the Gentiles. This is not a new concept. But now Jesus is inaugurating this, and now the Holy Spirit is equipping and empowering them to go and actually realize this new thing that's happening in verse 19 or in verse 9 of Isaiah 42. So God is doing exactly what he promised. God is doing exactly what he promised. And that's really important. If we know the history of our Bible, we know the storyline of our Bible, he's doing exactly what he promised he would do. And he is bringing his gospel to all peoples. And so we have their bottom line, their conclusion. Wow, the gospel, God has granted access, granted this gospel to the Gentiles. But to them, it's the repentance that leads to life. At the heart of the gospel is repentance. As he's opening the door for all people, they're receiving what? Good news of Jesus, that he has saved them from our mess, our sin. We need saving. And the gospel gives a demands of response. Will we accept what's really true, being stated as true? Repentance. So let's just talk about what repentance is for a few minutes. Repentance is not just simply, I'm sorry. It literally means to like do a 180, to turn, right? Or to change your thinking. It's this concept of like, there's a way you're going and God wants to shift it, turn it around, right? So there's not just a thought, it's not just an apology, although that is part of it. It is a turning in a new direction, it's an action and a response to it. <clears throat> and there's a lot of like, I don't know, maybe you have some cultural baggage, maybe just some history of the church that like the word repentance just feels, ah, I don't like that word. Right? We don't really like being told to repent, change your thinking, because it just kind of feels like criticism. This feels like we're just being pointed at. It's like, you're terrible, turn around. Right? We just kind of like have this, ah, criticism, repentance. But I want to unpack this word, because it's so good here. There's so much good news about this word. And go with me to Psalm 32 for a moment. It's one of my favorite psalms. 
It's one worth memorizing if you memorize scripture. Even if you don't memorize scripture, this is still a really good one to memorize. Um, but I want to read it. It should be on the screen. Psalm 32. It says, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Notice it's not blessed if you don't sin. Blessed is the one who's forgiven of their sin. Right? Important. Blessed is the one whose sin the, the, the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. Talked a little bit about that, like, idea of being criticized, that, like, we don't want to admit, like, there's something there. We kind of put this shield over. I think that verse is talking about that. In our heart, there's this, there's this deceit of, like, being real about what's really there. But God is saying, blessed is the one who's willing to be fully open and honest about what's there. Verse 3, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. What's going on here? This is a really strong image. And it kind of feels like he's saying God is like pushing me into the dirt a little bit. You know, like his hand is heavy on me. But that first, first verse, when, when I kept silent, it was, it was agonizing. When I was not real about what's really in there, there's something about like when we live a lie, it's just deflating. It sucks the life out of us. We don't live with reality of what's going on inside of us, right? And I think what, he, what the psalmist is trying to say is God sees that and he wants to pull it out, right? Blessed is the one who brings it out. He's saying God, his hand is on him like he wants to pull him out. And you'll see that in a second here, right? Verse, verse 5, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. The psalmist has had this revelation of like, he, he, he does, he gives it, he's honest, he truth, says it out to God. And it's like this uh, weight is lifted off his shoulders. And verse 6, Therefore let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the wa mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. What a really cool picture of what kind of God this is. He's not a heavy-handed, pushy-in-the-dirt kind of thing. He wants to lift you up out and bless you as you bring it to him. And he sings songs of deliverance around you. He's protecting you while he's doing it. What a cool picture what kind of heart he has. He is not vindictive. He's not a bully. He is a joyful deliverer. Verse 8, I will instruct you. The, the language turns here. Now this is God speaking to us. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. It's a character of who he is, his loving eye on you. Verse 9, do not be like the, mute, the horse or the mule, which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not come to you. This is, I think, the, the picture we get about repentance. Like, oh, just, he's just telling me what to do. I don't want to be told what to do. And we get this picture of this mule. God doesn't, it's not what he's about. It's not his heart about this. He's doing something different. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous, seeing all who are upright in heart. 
And I love this psalm because of the picture, the, the really beautiful picture of what repentance really is like and who our God is really like. And so I just want to kind of like bring out a couple ideas, a couple concepts that I think repentance is about. This isn't a complete list. There's more. Maybe we could whittle it down and make it simple. But I really like these words. I think repentance is about relationship. This is not a God who's like, repent or else, because you're bad. He wants to restore relationship with us. Something has severed it. We've been hiding something that has broken our connection with him, and he's pursuing us and wants to pull us up out of it. And us acknowledging this, that reality, is restoring relationship to him. It's letting him restore us back into relationship with him. Repentance is about relationship, restoring relationship. Well, repentance is also about trust, right? You don't repent to someone you don't trust. You're not willing to be open and vulnerable with. So when you're not willing to surrender your heart and all that's in it to someone you just don't trust. But the, the repentance that Jesus is about is established on trust, and he, is, he asks us to surrender all of our heart to him, and to be fully open and surrender in that sense, and be honest and, and real, because he's trustworthy. And this kind of Christian repentance is established on him, God, being trustworthy. Repentance is about trust. Repentance is also about truth. We've already kind of established this a little bit, haven't we? Right? Being honest about what's really there. Repentance has to be about truth. You can't fake repentance. You can't say a little bit, like, that's just, it's not the full picture and it's not real repentance. This is, God's heart is about what's real. There's a great quote from Tim Keller. I say it all the time. It says, we are so bad that God had to die for us. And sometimes we just, we need to hear that statement and, and be honest about that reality. God had to die for me. But the finishing part of that quote is an equally important truth statement. Because he goes on to say, but we are so loved that he was glad to die for me. We are so bad that he had to die. But we are so loved that he was glad to die. And this here is this balance between like, the gospel being, it's, it's not demand, it's not legalism. It's not, you got to follow all the rules. You're so bad, so you better get it all right and follow the rules. Nor is it, you're so loved, so you can do whatever you want. That's relativism. The gospel holds both of these in tension. That gives us confidence to know that I am loved. He loves me. But also, the humility to recognize that he had to die to save me. So why would I keep doing it? The gospel is not wiping away that sins aren't a big deal anymore. It's just helping us see that the God of the universe who's established these, this law, this covenant, this way of life that's really good and given us boundaries is a God who is really trustworthy and he loves you like crazy. And you're not going to find salvation by doing what's good. You're going to find it by coming to him through repentance. We live in the reality of that, that truth. That, yeah, we are bad. He had to die. 
You are so loved. And some of us need to hear that truth about you, that God loves you right where you are, right here. He loves you like crazy. And he has done everything to make a way to get to you right where you are right now. He's done it all. And he's longing for you to look up and see his face and see his love in his eyes, that he cares about you here. And he wants you to see the truth of that. The repentance is a declaration of that truth, that I need to be honest about what's really there. And I'm also honest that I believe he loves me. That's true of who I am. Two more quick little things. I think repentance is about daily life. It's ongoing. It's regular. It's part of this. It's not a one-time deal. We mess up. God wants us to bring it. Be honest about it. It's because you call yourself a Christian now doesn't mean you're, you got it all good now. That's a really liberating thing. And repentance is a reminder of the reality that I don't have to be perfect. And I can bring all of my imperfection to his feet because he paid the price for it. And I can make an exchange with him that he loves me. But I need to come to him and bring it to him because it matters. It's ongoing. But lastly, repentance is about grace. The very fact that this repentance even exists declares to us that there's a God on the other side of this encounter who wants to restore us. He loves us. He wants us. And he wants to lavish grace on you through this. As you bring all the stuff of the things you've done and say, God, I have these wrong beliefs. I have these wrong uh, things I've done. I've hurt these people. God, forgive me. I want to turn from doing it. I don't want to do that anymore. He delights in showing his grace and lavishing his grace on you. That's who he is. That he wants. It's what he desires to give to all of us. So repentance is absolutely established on, built on grace. It's about restoring relationship. It's about trusting a God we can surrender to. It's about truth and honesty and, and, and being loved by God. It's about daily life, this ongoing rhythm of repentance. And about it, it's about his grace. And all of this together, do you see like the, how life-giving this is? This is not something that pushes us down in the dirt, but it liberates us. Hebrews 12 has this really cool little image. It says, like, let's throw off the sin that so easily entangles us, which is a picture of us, what repentance really is. And I, and I, was, I was thinking about that. I was thinking about chords. Anyone who's done sound stuff knows that this is a horrible picture. This just is rotten. I hate this. And then what we do is you try to do this, right? Ah, oh, get it out, you know? You try to like just whip it. But it only makes it worse. Right? And then you try to like, oh, you just try to do the quick thing, the quick fix. Nope, that didn't help. You know, this, I think this is what we do when we try to pretend that our life isn't messy. It's just, it's just like this. We're assuming it's just going to like fall, like all I have to do is put it there and it'll be just fine. But I think repentance is more a slow work
It's not us untangling this. It's just letting him. And being honest about what's really there. But slowly, as he undoes the knots, it start, you start to see a little bit clearer. And slowly you let him do it. He just works on you. And as you open up your heart, he puts your life back together. He unravels these knots. Sin loves to just tangle everything up. And we love to hide that that's a reality in there. But God wants to pull us out of that because that just sucks the life right out of us. And he's given us a repentance that leads to life. That means living in truth, living the reality of who he is, and living in this restored relationship with a God who is life, who creates life, and he gives life to all of us. I think when these Christians in verse 18, Vex 11, say, that, oh wow, now even the Gentiles have been given this repentance that leads to life, they're talking about this. This access to the God who is with us, who restores relationship as we bring out our real stuff. This is what he does. Worship team, would you come up? We're going to close with this. The more we look at Jesus... I don't want you to get the idea that this is about looking at our sin. This is about looking at Jesus and looking at his gospel. He will illumine things. He'll help us see what's really there. This is about looking at Jesus. And the more we look at Jesus, the more free we will feel to actually see what's there. And that when criticism comes, when things come about who we are that maybe is way messier than we want to believe, because Jesus is already looking at us and he's loving us right where we're at. He sees what's really there. We too can look at ourselves and see what's really there. Paul says, I don't have the reference on me, maybe someone else does, where he says, his kindness leads us to repentance. The more we see who Jesus really is, the more we see him enabling and softening our heart to trust him to begin to open up to him. Hannah prayed that, that pre-service prayer this morning. She started about, Lord, would you open up hearts tonight? I believe that's what he wants to do with all of us. He wants to open up our heart to trust him and bring out what's really there. We can look at ourselves like he's looking at us without shame, without jadedness, without self-loathing. We can be honest. We can let him love us. This is for all of us. This is a way of life. And I want to encourage you, if this is new, like this concept of repentance is something you've avoided, try it. Bring out what God's really there. And be, like, let him in. Exam let him examine your heart and say what's there. And if you got a whole bunch of questions about, yeah, but what about this? What about that? Great. Ask your questions. Come talk to one of us. Come talk to your small group leader. Ask your questions. But if we do this, if we begin to practice this kind of repentance, can you imagine what would happen not only to our own self-identity, right, our own view of ourselves? We'd see this kind of God who loves us and lifts us up out, blesses us as we're forgiven, right? Crazy, his grace is insane, so good. It would do an incredible work in all of our 
insecurities. But then imagine what that would do with our relationships around us. We'd be actually willing to hear someone critique something. And we could be honest and like, oh, that's there. Oh, I see that. I see how that was harmful. Jesus saw that too. And maybe there's work here of like, oh, yeah, but I don't think that's quite, the, you know, this. we all see with through a foggy lens, right? This is messy. But I believe if we live lives of this kind of repentance, we'll not only see a restoring of our life, right? This repentance leads to life. We'll see that happening in all of us, and we'll see it happening in our community, and we'll see it happening spread all over the world. Because Jesus will be made clearer and clearer, and his love and his power and his grace will become clearer and clearer and clearer. And we'll be undone and wowed all over again. So as the worship team plays, I'm going to go through a song. I would, I would encourage you to be real with God for a minute. Maybe ask a question of him. Maybe say, Lord, I've been hiding. I've been hiding. I've been covering up stuff. Pretending it's not there because I don't know if I can handle it. But Jesus wants to meet you in that. He already sees it and he wants to pull you up out of it. So would you give him a moment as you're sitting in your seat? Would you trust him with a little bit more of your heart and open wide a little bit more of your heart? And let his kindness lead you to repentance, this beautiful kind of repentance that leads to life. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much for your love. Thank you that we can have confidence because of the gospel that you care for us and you are trustworthy and you want to restore relationship, not destroy us. And that as we bring out what's really in the inside, you are trustworthy with it. Thank you, Jesus. Meet us tonight. Meet us this week. Help us to live a whole new way or help us to grow in this gift of repentance that leads to life. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Instagram at MilwaukeeXA to keep up to date on our events and services. Or stop by Bolton Hall Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. in room B40.